0: I think as we started to learn more about this privacy-conscious future, this cookie-less world, the Apple iOS changes, regulation like GDPR, CCPA that prioritize opt-in data, we started thinking more about what the future of data collection will look like. And, you know, our thesis is that people need to be compensated when they share their data.
1: (laughs) Yeah, very interesting. Yeah. So, Swish, like I've, you know, I sort of did a deep dive in you. I'm sort of like, you've been in the entrepreneurial game for like ages. You've been in it oh, for wow. the last six, seven years. You're like an OG yeah. entrepreneur before like internet marketing yeah. <laughs> and making money online was a thing. Tell me a bit about your story and, and what you do, man.
0: For sure. So,
1: I growing
0: up never actually wanted to be an entrepreneur it's worth noting like i wanted to be a lawyer when i went to college um i debated quite a bit in high school i debated for the national team in canada for three years and it allowed me to go to a bunch of world competitions um typically if you debate at a high level you either want to get into politics or law and i thought law was going to be my calling in my first year of college i was able to build a pretty massive instagram account for basketball fans so i worked with my partner elliot who was actually based out of sweden at the time and we decided to build out this account at Dunk, at D-U-N-K on Instagram. So by the end of my second year, it had grown to about 1.5 million followers. It's currently at 2.7. And I decided to drop out of school, move to New York, lived there for about two years. We grew the overall network, uh, which had now 21 accounts, 11 million followers overall across Instagram, TikTok, and Snapchat. And we started working with brands like Gatorade, Warner Music, Sony Music to promote their content on our channels. So that whole experience taught me a ton about community building, which I've used for myself personally on LinkedIn and on Instagram. And it also taught me a lot about the data and metrics that brands care a lot about. And through that experience of learning a lot more about data, I thought maybe building a company that gave people compensation for their data and provided high fidelity user data to companies would be a smart idea. And that was kind of the genesis of Surf four and a half years ago when we started it. Uh, We're obviously, you know, I'm still working on Surf full time, but... Throughout that kind of time of building Surf Out, I started speaking, I, you know, started writing a book, which I was able to release this year, Um, started posting a lot on social media. So a lot of other things came up while I was kind of building this, this business surf.
1: That's amazing. Majority of surf's growth. Do you think, have you been relying mainly on paid traffic or organic Great question. So we've gotten about
0: 35,000 downloads from paid advertising. So influencer marketing, paid ads, and giveaways at a pretty healthy CAC. Like our CAC for influencer marketing is $4. For paid ads, it's $1.95. And for giveaways, it's twenty. So pretty decent numbers in terms of customer acquisition costs. But yeah, we're, we're close to 250,000 users. So we've gotten over 200,000 users organically, uh, either through referrals. So people just telling their friends and family members about Surf or through our customers like our brand customers like amazon prime gaming electronic arts and hp have promoted surf to their audience to get them to download the extension and check it out
1: tell me about the business model so i understand it's people can sort of use the platform it's sort of all the information is anonymous people can actually get points in return for sharing the information please share with everyone a bit more about the sort of business model Sure. On the consumer side, we're only
0: available in North America right now, so U.S. and Canada. We are actually launching in the U.K. November 15th. So I'm very amped about getting out to the U.K. It's the biggest country on our wait list. And we'll look at a few other European countries in the kind of Q1, Q2 period of 2023. I think right now when you sign up, you go through an onboarding flow. Again, we don't ask you for your first and last name or any personally identifiable info. Uh, we ask you for your age your gender your location so high level demographic info so we can bucket you appropriately and then it's entirely passive so once you download the extension and start sharing data uh we don't ask you you know to take surveys or watch ads or click specific links to get that sort of data you're just browsing the internet like you normally would sharing data directly with us and getting points back that you can use for items gift cards discounts you can donate your points to charity and you can also enter your points into a giveaway so there's a lot of optionality in what people can do with their points We then take all, by the way, all of that data, which is anonymized. We put it into a dashboard and then allow brands like Netflix, L'Oreal, United Talent Agency to understand user behavior on the internet by buying a subscription to that platform.
1: Got it. So the moment the user installs the app, is it starting to collect the information right off the bat or do they have to trade and be like, hey, I want to sell my information for points or is it ongoing? Mm
0: It's ongoing. So right away, when you download the extension and turn it on, which you have to turn it on, um, you're going to start sharing data with us. There's a few things to note. I mean, number one, through the onboarding process, we do try to instruct people very clearly what data we collect and what we do with that data. Transparency is one of our key values at the company. So we're not trying to hide away from the fact that we do collect user data. We're also not trying to hide away from the fact that we sell it. We are very much trying to keep our users in the loop. And then the second thing is at any point while you're sharing data, if you as a consumer want to manage that data, you can do that. So if you want to you know, go in and delete certain items and you don't want to share with us, you can do that in 24 hours uh, and you can immediately start deleting data that you don't want to share uh, and we wouldn't obviously get it. So again, along with compensation and transparency, we are also trying to protect people's privacy. We are also trying to give people control over their data.
1: Interesting. And during the onboarding process, do people just put in the age and gender or wh- what is sort of you like required? Yeah, it, you
0: put in your email, which is obviously just to verify that you're a human being. Um, we put in your age, uh, age range, actually, not even your specific age. It's a range. So 18 to 26, 25, 26 to 35, 35 to 50, etc. cetera. And then finally, you put in your gender and location. So gender, you can obviously click. I prefer not to say uh, male, female. We have a bunch of other options as well, um, if you obviously fit into any of those other categories. And then in terms of location, we're obviously available in every city in North America. So you just put in your location, what city you reside in, you get immediately into the platform. There's actually a ton of early points we give our users just for signing up. So you'll have enough points when you sign up to literally go in and redeem a reward if you wanted to. Uh, I don't know if it's a reward you necessarily want, but that's a different story. But if you are skeptical and you're like, I don't think Surf is gonna work, you can actually immediately go and redeem a reward. You'll get the reward in your inbox and hopefully that validates to you that we're not, you know, we're, we're not a scam. This is totally legitimate. Uh, we're, you know, a venture backed company, good credibility, etc. cetera.
1: What type of rewards do you guys offer?
0: Yeah, so right now it is predominantly discounts that we offer that are exclusive though. Like these are discounts you can't find on Honey, for example. Um, so the discounts we offer either are percentage off purchases. So like 15% off your next purchase, um, or it's fixed amount off. So like $20 off your next purchase. Um, so the cool thing about having a variability in that is like, obviously, you know, $20 off your next purchase sounds great, but imagine you got like a 25% off next purchase code and you bought something for $200. I mean, that's obviously 50 bucks right there. So the kind of variability in savings is pretty great. Uh, We also have some items that we offer, like luxury items. Uh, You definitely have to save up your points for five to six months in order to get them. Uh, But we've had some users that have gotten like a Nintendo Switch or AirPods directly from our platform, which is pretty cool. Uh, We have some gift cards and then we also have some charities as well that you can donate your points to. So we have Sea Shepherd, which is a UK um, charity that works on marine life conservation. We have the Canadian Red Cross, the American Red Cross, as well as the Canadian Indigenous Association. So a ton of really cool charities that you can donate your points to. And then the final thing is you can also use your points to enter giveaways. So if you don't even care about a $10 off next purchase code or a $20 gift card, and you just want to enter, you know, the chance to win a $300 prize, you can do that. We're giving away headsets monthly, we're giving away calendars, we're giving away clothing we actually gave away a tesla model 3 in our first three months of creating the extension so we have like wild giveaways now they're all fully subsidized so we have brand partners that fully cover the cost of that Um, but early on obviously we were covering the cost of all our rewards
1: other brand partners the same brands that probably use your platform
0: no that's a great question great question they're separate so we have about 50 data customers and we have about 100 reward partners so it isn't mandatory if you're coming on to you know, get access to our platform for data that you also provide a reward. And again, it's also not mandatory that if you're providing a reward, you buy a subscription to our analytics platform. Uh, for the rewards partners, we don't charge them anything. They don't charge us. You might be asking, like, what's the incentive then? Why does Reebok Canada or Ulta Beauty or Daniel Wellington join our rewards program? It's because they're looking for a cheaper customer acquisition channel. So for them, you know, Reebok Canada, for example, their paid ads CAC is $55 on Facebook. If they could provide a $20 off-mix purchase code in our marketplace and get a customer from that, it's a win for them. So they're just finding a cheaper customer acquisition channel and trying to be able to promote to our user base. That is obviously growing pretty pretty quickly.
1: That's so amazing Swish. How yeah. have you been able to like balance like all the data, data customers, the sort of promotional clients and companies you work and acquisition, there's so many different parts you're sort of yeah. juggling. How have you been doing it all?
0: I think we found a way to make them all work. Like I said, you know, the biggest channels for customer acquisition right now are like user acquisition, sorry, have been referrals. So there's not a lot of work we have to do there. It's just product led acquisition has been like the biggest driver of downloads. And then the second is customer giveaways. So when our customers, for example, like HP or Amazon Prime Gaming are running a giveaway in our marketplace, they're actually promoting it on Twitter. They're promoting it on Instagram as well and leading to a ton of users for us. So that's one is I think we've done a good job of kind of finding, you know, a way to align incentives and get our team to be very focused on key priorities. And then secondly, obviously building out the team, you know, team of 22 people now full time. We also have a bunch of interns. We have a bunch of contractors as well that work with us. Um, And so you know, it's been pretty great to be able to have a full-fledged team that can support reward partners, data customers, and, you know, have a marketing team that can focus on acquiring users.
1: When it comes to pitching your sort of service and your value towards data customers or rewards customers, like how do you get to like Amazon gaming? Like do you go on LinkedIn yeah. look for like a, like a head mm-hmm. of Amazon and just send them a, a message on LinkedIn?
0: Sometimes, honestly. Uh, with Amazon Prime Gaming, though, they came as a customer referral from Polaris. So we've had a lot of our existing customers refer us to other people as well. It's been pretty great to see that. We have a customer advisory board of eight customers that we meet with quarterly. They're like our biggest customers. And in that meeting, we tend to ask for referrals and like you know introductions to other brands that might be helpful as well. Um, so that's number one. We have a bunch of inbound traffic as well. So like Sequoia Capital, for example, came through our contact request form. Uh, we get a ton of clicks just when people search up zero party data generation, or when they search up GDPR compliant giveaways, or when they search up privacy conscious world or cookie world data, they'll be able to hopefully, you know, see us right away. And then finally, like you mentioned, right, cold outreach, LinkedIn, email, we'll do anything we need to, to try to get in front of somebody. The good thing is we have all these big logos, so we have case studies built out, we have audience reports built out, and we tend to attach that in a lot of the correspondence that we, we send out.
1: That's amazing one thing i've always been curious like do browsers store and collect all your information so like i use google chrome do they know when i'm on facebook when i'm on like netflix when i'm on like daily mail do they store all that data or do they just store search data
0: yeah they typically just store search data um which is how they know all about kind of where to send you an ad and like what ad to give you because they know what you're searching Um, obviously some websites like Facebook will collect data on what you're doing on Facebook, but they wouldn't know what you're doing outside of Facebook, right? So that's a cool thing. And where kind of our data comes into play is that we're not just getting, you know, search related data. We're getting data on like the Instagram profiles you bounce in between the YouTube videos you frequently watch, the places that you shop at, the places you've abandoned your cart. We know all of that information in an anonymized way that we can then go and arm a brand to help them position their brand more effectively to you.
1: Yeah, that's what I was thinking, like, you guys are an extension, so you guys have, like, the highest quality data, like, even more data than a a search browser itself. Yeah, and the cool thing is, again,
0: even on Google, for example, like, they don't necessarily get self-declared location, gender, age data, right? So, unless you're signed in with your Google account, a lot of times they don't actually know who their users are, they just know what you're searching. So, we do go a little bit deeper in terms of the data we collect. But again, you know, we're complimentary to a lot of these companies as well, right? Like we're complimentary to Google because we don't incentivize you to get off Chrome. We incentivize you to actually stay on Chrome. We just compensate you for your current browsing experience.
1: How does your um, your extension tag all the different sites? Like let's say I go on HelloKitty.com. Yeah. What are you, <laughs> like, are you guys gonna be tagging that as? Like I was gonna be tagging that as like e-commerce, uh, social? Yeah, that, that's the cool part of our platform
0: is You know, we obviously source data and we visualize it, but really what's proprietary is what we do to enrich the data. So the best example I tend to give is YouTube, for example. Like we will know when you go to a YouTube video, but when you look at the URL, which we collect, it's very cryptic on YouTube. It's like youtube.com slash a bunch of letters and numbers. And so what we are able to do is take a look at that URL, bring it into our system, and then we're able to auto-populate the title of the video, the length of the video, the category of the video, how many comments the video had, to understand a little bit more about the content you're watching to be able to then give obviously better insights to our customers. So a lot of the enrichment we do is incredibly proprietary. In order to do that, we do connect to various APIs like the YouTube API, for example. Um, And that's obviously a big part of our special sauce when it comes to not only sourcing data and visualizing it, but enriching it as well.
1: That's amazing. So I guess what type of data are your data customers paying for? Like, let's say you have my data you know that i like watching videos on anime videos about business you see that i'm shopping for like an air fryer like what would that all mean then
0: yeah it's a great question so the two offerings that we provide one is the intelligence side second is engagement so on the intelligence side what we basically provide a company is user behavior data and pathways to purchase so we show a brand you know You know, here are people in our user base. Uh, Here's what they're looking at in terms of the sites they go to, the publications they read, the searches they make on Google, the searches they make on TikTok, the streamers they follow, the videos they watch, etc. You can obviously filter all of that information as well. You could be like 18 to 24 year old males in Toronto that have visited Nike.com in the last three months. I want to now look at their browsing behavior specifically and take a look at what they're doing on the Internet. The second thing we also provide is, you know, within intelligence is pathways to purchase. So how did somebody end up on Nike.com and end up buying? Not just one click before and one click after, which is what Google Analytics provides, but like 10 clicks before, 10 clicks after, the most frequent pathway to purchase. What did that look like? Because again, we collect user journey data across every site you go to the minute you open your laptop and get onto the internet. That's number one is intelligence. The second thing is engagement. So if you're now really interested in, potentially getting in front of these consumers, you can obviously provide a reward in our marketplace and you can also run a giveaway. So Amazon Prime Gaming, for example, they just ran a giveaway. And the cool thing about running a giveaway is I as a surf user can use my points to enter it, but I can also provide my email and phone number directly to Amazon for a higher likelihood to win. So like more entries in the giveaway. And so Amazon Prime Gaming is not just getting web data then, they're also getting emails and phone numbers from users were are fully opting in to sharing their email and phone number just with Amazon Prime Gaming in order to get a higher likelihood to win their giveaway.
1: Now, are you guys, when like a company like Amazon Prime does a giveaway, yeah. would yeah. you then sort of giving them access to only the people that have history with say gaming and, and do something related to gaming or are you going to have that giveaway apply to yeah. your whole user base?
0: So that's a great question. The giveaway will be available to everyone. Everyone could see it. But, you know, we will send push notifications through the extension. We will send an email that's very targeted to people who have kind of an inclination towards gaming uh, and towards gaming-related content. So we do target people with offers and rewards based on their browsing behavior. But again, everybody will see it in the marketplace. So if you do come onto the marketplace as a user, even if you weren't into gaming, you will see the Amazon Prime Gaming giveaway.
1: Yeah, because, like, I was just trying to think, because, like, if you sort of do a targeted... List yeah. you can offer much higher cpms if you're charging it by the cpm but then they just might want to just hit your whole list so it's like yeah
0: yeah yeah it's cool because again the way we communicate with our users we're very protective of things like their email so we'll never share your email with a brand again the only time a brand will ever get an email from our user is if they fully opt in to share with the brand directly so through a giveaway that's entirely up to you and the brand whether you want to share that email or not but if you're providing an email on sign up with surf we're not sharing your email to any brand no matter how many times they ask or how much they pay
1: out of the pathway to purchase the data research and the rewards yeah. which out of the three has your clients found the most valuable and, and use the most
0: i think definitely overall browsing insights and then giveaways giveaways have been really cool i think. Obviously, we're not the first giveaways platform in the world. And you might even ask the question like, well, couldn't a company just run a giveaway on their own? I think there's some things that are very special about what we do with giveaways. Like, for example, we auto-generate sweepstakes rules for over 85 regions in the world, which means that you as a company don't have to get your legal team involved to go through indemnities and warrants and all the legal agreements associated to giveaways. It's all auto-created for some of the most popular regions you'll probably want to run the giveaway in. The second thing is we also have a sandbox of 41 different integrations where you can drive traffic to various places. So your rules could be use 100 serve points to enter the giveaway. For more entries now, sign up for our newsletter, download our app, watch something, go to this link, buy something from our store, follow us on Twitter, follow us on TikTok, follow us on Instagram. We have all of these integrations built in already that a simple brand could come on and just run a customizable giveaway right away to drive traffic to various places they care about. So it is a very sophisticated and advanced giveaways platform. I think that feature along with browsing insights are definitely the two most popular things on our platform.
1: That's amazing. Yep. What do you see being the like the long-term play with Surf? Like, Will it get to a place, is the goal like to get to a place where everyone has individualized rewards and each reward speaks specifically to them because you have so much data of them and basically it's a win-win situation because like they're sort of earning points which they could trade in for the rewards like what's the long-term play you reckon?
0: Yeah no I love your ideas by the way they're all kind of directly in line with you know conversations we have almost weekly um personalized marketplace is definitely one thing on our 2023 roadmap so like can we personalize the rewards you see immediately based on their browsing behavior uh we're definitely looking to expand to a few more regions so the uk is next a couple of other european regions india and brazil which are very prominent on our waitlist are in 2023 as well as part of our roadmap and then we're also looking to get our mobile solution out because right now it's just an extension on desktop but a ton of people browse on their phone they also have a bunch of app usage data that we'll be able to tap into what apps you click into, how long you spend in the apps, the app traffic itself, and that's the type of data we'll be able to collect with our mobile solution that'll come out in a few months. That's kind of the immediate roadmap. I think the long-term roadmap is, you know, can we allow a consumer to monetize every aspect of the digital footprint? So desktop browsing data, mobile app usage data, purchasing data, fitness data, geolocation data. Can we allow you to monetize all of that through Surf? That is kind of the end goal for us, is being able to set up different integrations that help you connect various data sources. And if you want to get additional points and be able to immediately monetize every aspect of your digital footprint.
1: Is that like browser smart enough where like, let's say I'm on Forbes and I'm looking at this article of like Nike, how they scaled to X amount or how they're now a trillion dollar company, for example. I guess I have to scrape all the keywords on that page that I visited to with your extension, like sort of Google yep. SEO. Yeah, it's really
0: cool. Like. the data we collect allows us to tap into not just the URL, but the subdomain as well, which means we will know the title of the publication, you know, or the article that you read. We'll know the content within the article. We even know things like if an ad was shown to you, like what pages you're on that have an ad embedded in it. So one of the things we haven't built out yet, which we're really excited to get into next year on the analytics side, is showing companies what people do after they see an ad do they click into the ad? What do they search after they saw your ad? That's the sort of attribution data that currently is missing in today's world and what we're hoping to be able to solve next year.
1: Do you guys just have this massive vault of data that you're just building out algorithms to eventually figure out how to sort of tag and make sense of, and you just have all this data just being collected, slowly being uncovered?
0: Yeah, we're close to 2 billion URLs now from our users in about seven months. It's crazy. We're growing about 5.6 million URLs per day right now. Um, so yeah, we have like a, a chest of anonymized and you know GDPR compliant ethically sourced data, which we're really happy about uh, that we can now kind of gleam insights from obviously depending on what customers want to see and what they want to get.
1: When you said that you guys could also see like advertisements that are embedded on that website, like yeah. what does that mean? Because like do you see a visual do you visually have like a no
0: no we don't visually see it we can just we, we can understand based on the pixel associated to the ad what ad it is like if it was a footlocker ad or a Reebok ad we can't obviously visually see what the ad looked like um but we can understand if an ad was displayed on a page that we went on and then obviously understand what you did after which again is the information we would very much want to provide a, a company
1: interesting so let's say you scraped a bunch of data of a bunch of people who clicked on a footlocker ad you could then see what where they were beforehand see if majority of them were reading an article about soccer and now footlocker knows that soccer related articles lead to them visiting oh yeah yeah yeah, exactly yep that is amazing
0: yeah (laughs) it's pretty rich data but again the beauty of it is that it, you know no user has to feel afraid of like you know their name even being involved because we don't even ask for that info so i love the fact that everything is anonymized it's always going to be that way um i don't anticipate changing the onboarding to ask for things like first and last name ever um so we're excited just with kind of the approach of being you know privacy first uh but also more importantly transparent with our users about everything we do on our on our back end
1: how does something- google work because you know how you can go on google chrome you see like your past search history and you can just see what you've searched are they legally not allowed to attach that search history to your google account and and email and name
0: no they're not allowed doing that for sure um unless you again fully opt-in which they don't currently have a service to allow that um they do take insights though right that's google analytics which is quite surface level like google analytics will tell you you know here is where people have come from you know for to your site, here's where people mainly came from here's where they went after uh here are kind of the audiences that tend to come on your site in terms of age or, or in terms of just you know where they're located based on their ip address but again the data we're obviously talking about here with surf is a lot more detailed especially across not just search results but also across you know individual websites like what pages on facebook are the most popular that 18 to 24 year old females in new york go to on a monthly basis That's the type of stuff you will never get from Google Analytics.
1: That's so cool. What has been the biggest um, bottleneck stopping guys to scale regionally? Has it all just been legalities, but isn't it just like a simple?
0: Yeah, it's not not legality at all. You know, We're, we're GDPR, we're CCPA compliant. I always joke, you know, going to the UK, there's no legal stuff there because like GDPR requires companies to let people request their data, download their data and delete their data. We let our users do all three of that along with compensating people for their data, which is not something that any privacy regulation in the world right now dictates companies to do. I hope, they, I hope privacy regulation does that in like three to five years. And I, I do think we're setting a new standard for privacy in terms of what we're doing with Surf. But right now we are over and beyond what regulation requires companies to do. The biggest thing for us is number one, do we have a marketing budget in order to be able to scale quickly in that new region, you know, partner with influencers in that region, run paid ads, work with, you know, press and publications within that region that a lot of people, for example, in England read. And then secondly, I want to find local reward partners. You know, ideally people in England come on. I don't want them to just see international conglomerates in the rewards marketplace. I want them to see Pret. I want them to see Sainsbury. I want them to see their local grocery store or their, you know, fast food chain that is very local to the UK, because that'll allow them to relate to our brand a lot better.
1: Got it. So if you were to just release the extension worldwide. Anyone can install it. Not everyone could actually use the rewards because they're located in different. Would it just make it seem too spread out and too thin? Is that the reason why you didn't just go worldwide?
0: Yeah, like, I just don't think the consumer value prop would be there. You know, like, I just think a lot of people would definitely download it, uh, but a lot of people would just uninstall it because it would come on and they'd be like, well, there's no reward here that I could actually use and redeem because all of these are mainly based in Canada and the US. Uh, and that, by the way, is written in a lot of our reward statements. It's like you can only redeem this in the Canadian Nike marketplace or the you know, Reebok US marketplace. So that is one big reason. I think the second thing, again, is, you know, for us, when it comes to getting data, we want to make sure that we're getting data from active users as well, not just people who are downloading the extension. So that's where we also want to take our time to build a relationship with our users, make sure that they feel comfortable with what we're doing here, because it is a paradigm shift in some ways. And we want to make sure that we're we're taking time in building that relationship with our users because I think a lot of companies have gone for the Armageddon, let's get data at all cost play. And that's obviously being terrible for consumer trust. So I really want to take our time to just build consumer trust, because if we nail that part, you know, I know that we can be a data partner for people across other types of data as well, not just browsing data.
1: For each market. How many months or how long does it usually take to load up all the rewards partners or the data customers or the the acquisitions for just users? Like you have to load up a lot beforehand for each market. Like how long does that take? Well the data customers
0: is not necessary because again, the cool thing about our rewards marketplace is that it's fully subsidized by our brand customers. We don't pay anything out of pocket anymore. So. From a gross margins perspective, our costs are actually mainly on the customer support side for enterprises and on our server costs for the analytics platform. There's nothing around user acquisition costs or being able to pay people for, you know, redeeming rewards. That's not part of our costs anymore, which is pretty great. But yeah, on the data customer side as well, it's worth noting, like we do have customers globally. So it's not just, you know, our customer base is definitely, you know, primarily in North America. But we do have like Wonderman Thompson UK, for example, that signed up about a year ago. Because they were interested in North American data. You know, North American audiences are very key for a lot of conglomerates and big companies and they're very interested in understanding what people in North America are doing. On the reward side, I mean, we're now at over 40 reward partners that we've gotten for the UK marketplace. We started, you know, that big kind of campaign to find them and bring them on about three weeks ago. Uh, and we're launching obviously in a week in the UK. So, Yeah, three to four weeks, I think, is what we kind of need as a buffer period to bring on a bunch of reward partners. It's also worth noting, we went back to a lot of our existing reward partners and said, hey, Ulta Beauty, for example, are you willing to also provide rewards that people in the UK can redeem and use? Right. So we did go to a lot of our existing partners as well and say, can you expand your offering to factors in the UK? Um, But yeah, that's pretty much it. Again, you know, with the UK launch coming up, you know the first and biggest marketing channel for us is going to be our waitlist you know we have over 8,000 people in the uk that have signed up for the waitlist to be notified when we're available in that region so we're going to be sending them a few emails in the first two weeks after we launch
1: i love how you guys have been really like steady with it and like sticking with like a small pool really making sure that pool has the best experience possible everything's inbound through a form so you're not just accepting everyone in you've been slowly sort of spreading it and making sure that all parties are happy. Like it's just, yeah, it's such a patient approach.
0: Yeah, 100%. I mean, don't get me wrong. Obviously, if if I raised $100 million tomorrow, I'd love to bring up a bunch of teams and say, hey guys, we're going after five new countries uh, in this quarter. But again, we're not at that stage yet, right? You know, We're going through right now and, and we're gonna do our series A fundraise. We're gonna raise our B round, hopefully in late 2023, early 2024 and try to scale this in the most organic, but also in the best way possible. Again, I don't want to be a company that doesn't build a sustainable model. You know, I know there's a bunch of rewards apps right now that they raised a lot of money and they like spent 50% of what money they raise paying users out of their own pocket. And again, to be able to, you know, to get to this 100% subsidized marketplace has been a big achievement for us because we know now we have a sustainable business model that can definitely take on more users if need be.
1: Right now with the data customers, is it similar to like a SaaS model where there's just a monthly sort of subscription cost to get access to all the data live?
0: Yeah, yeah, it is. And a lot of our customers do pay on an annual and biannual basis. So they pay upfront front for 12 to 24 month access to the platform.
1: Interesting. And that will probably be the main driver revenue wise for the company long term.
0: It is. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's actually currently, by the way, the only revenue source is just the analytics platform and subscriptions from there. One thing we have thought a bit about is maybe when people use a $20 off next purchase code at Reebok, maybe we should take a a commission or transaction fee from that. Um, We haven't done one yet, but we know some of our reward partners are open to it from the kind of the early conversations we've had. So it might be a secondary line of revenue we look at in the next few months.
1: Yeah, that reminds me of like the cashback sort of companies and schemes, how like the companies would pay to reach the whole email list with the rewards offer. And like if they're able to run a whole company off that and that's just something you're doing on the side or secondary, okay. like huge potential.
0: It is. And the cool thing again, the, the biggest difference between us and any of the racketins of the world or whatever is the cashback model requires people to make a purchase first before they get points. We don't have to do that, right? We can give people points upfront. You know, they can go and use those points and then we can make our money when they go and use their points and get value. It's a win-win-win for the brand, for the user and for us.
1: Interesting. Are you in the crypto space at all by any chance, Swish?
0: Not yet. We've thought a little bit about it. And the reason I said not yet is because it's definitely something we've thought about on our roadmap. One of the things we have thought a lot about is from kind of feedback we've gotten from our users is can we tokenize surf points, and maybe get a surf token? Because a lot of users love our rewards marketplace, but some users want tangible cash, not rewards as good as cash. They want real cash. So we have thought a little bit about tokenization. We've talked a little bit even about, you know, the data system we built out What if it was decentralized and, you know, companies essentially could buy consumer data like they were on Amazon, like you could query the system for 18 to 24-year-old males in Toronto and get a packet of data that has all the information you need in it. Imagine that to be the system now and not a visual dashboard that has graphs and all these other visuals that some companies generally don't need because they have a 15-person data science team and can model everything out on their own. That's something, again, that we're thinking about. We haven't pulled the trigger on anything yet, but we're definitely observing the market and trying to gauge where we go from there.
1: Carly, what's the biggest sort of analytics data company out there in the world at the moment that sells data to these top companies? There are a few. I
0: mean, on the market research side, I'd look at like Baltrix, Gartner. um, Those are some of the bigger ones. Again, they're not related only to marketing data. Some of them also do like HR, for example, or financial data. Um, In the marketing space, I mean, legacy web data providers include similar web, Tom's for Nielsen, I think Nielsen's a very big one. Um, So those are some of the legacy players that typically rely on cookies and traffic panels to generate their data, not kind of a a consumer app like we built out that's generating it in a more ethical way in my opinion.
1: How big can those companies get? Because they're reliant on like the the top 500 companies who sort of need that data. But once you go below the top 500 companies, like the local mom and pop shop isn't really gonna be buying data.
0: Yeah, well, and, and I mean, yeah, they, they probably wouldn't want to. I mean, Google Analytics is a decent example of a platform that even small businesses kind of got behind. Again, it's so long in the future right now because, you know, we're just cracking the nut for enterprise right now. Like there's so many more enterprises for us to sell our data into. But that might be the next step. You know, imagine you do kind of reach a ceiling on the enterprise side and you need to look a bit more downstream. That's one approach. The second approach is to add, again, a secondary line of revenue, right? It's why we've been thinking a lot about this commission-based, affiliate-based commission that we could take is because, you know, it could be a cash cow. Like if we have, you know, right now about 20% of our users are redeeming rewards each month, you know, and that's it's a, it's a big number, right? You know, we're, we're looking at about 40,000 users that are going and making purchases using rewards that they've gotten from Surf. So for us to take, you know, even five percent or three percent of that could be uh could be a pretty big value over time.
1: Yeah, because like I was just thinking, like it'd be so crazy if I could go in and be like, hey, I want to target all the people who are interested in business and here's a twenty percent coupon for those people and I pay you a set CPM for those to reach those people. Like it would just be like a Facebook advertising model type of thing. Yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. But even better because you're actually getting conversion right away. You know, like they're they're like that's the cool thing about what I've think we're offering is like, when it comes to the reward side, we're providing this kind of new form of advertising that's through rewards. Uh, And I just find that to be a much better way than just putting a banner ad up because the banner ad is great for awareness, but it doesn't necessarily mean that someone is going to buy from your your brand. But when you provide a reward, I mean, if I got a $20 off next purchase code and I redeemed it, you know, at some point I'm probably going to use it, you know, like it would be a waste of my points if I just redeemed it randomly. So it does drive conversion, it does drive purchase when you provide rewards.
1: It reminds me, so I have like a friend who has like a meat company and he sells like ham and, and sliced meats to Woolworths, our big grocery store. And for him to promote his product in the store in, in Woolworths, is he has to offer a discount on his meat. So if it goes from $4 down to $250, he's paying a dollar fifty for every single sale. So it's weird, you so he's like the promotion is giving a discount, which obviously you're paying for because now you're losing a dollar fifty for each order. So it's like a different model of advertising.
0: Different model of advertising, and keep in mind as well that you know Reebok Canada, for example. Imagine you you know got their code for twenty dollars off next purchase. You bought something for sixty bucks, sixty dollars, so you paid forty. Even if Reebok Canada was like, oh man, like they pay you know like twenty dollars is kind of steep, you know like. We don't want to acquire users for that amount like keep in mind that you are also providing your email to Reebok when you make a purchase so like for them they now have the ability to retarget you whenever they want wherever they want on your own terms they could send you the christmas catalog for example and get you to buy something full price again that's another big value for our reward partners is they're not only driving initial purchases but they're also getting information now that they can then use for retargeting later on
1: that's super cool. Swish, have you had like a tech background? Like, do you know how to code and all that stuff?
0: No, honestly, no. Like half the stuff I've been talking about here has just been like learning from uh, the development team and product. Just, you know, I work very kind of closely with product and marketing especially. Um, but no, I, I don't have a technical background. My background is very much within marketing. Um, my co-founder Onic is a little bit more technical than I am. He studied Stan- He studied at Stanford Management Sciences and Engineering with a concentration in data science. And then our CTO Andrew, I mean, he's been in Silicon Valley for over 35 years. He's built three companies. He sold one of them to Pertino, uh, sorry, to uh, Cradlepoint. The company is called Pertino. So he's had a whole background in network security. He's probably the most technical person I've ever met. So I've just learned a lot, honestly, being around my CTO, being around the product team, being a little bit more tactical and hands-on than a CEO might want to be. That's super
1: cool. a problem that i'm going through and i'd love to get your thoughts on so we're sort of building out this education sort of platform and i have like two full-time developers and i'm using the platform i'm not happy with it there's so many little bugs that are happening every time a new feature implements like i'm just tearing it apart and there's so much that two people working like they're working 16 hours a day like there's just so much they can do and i'm catching way more mistakes at a much faster pace than they're able to fix these mistakes so I feel like I'm, it's, it's such a large bottleneck. And I guess, and even if I yeah. got more developers, I feel like there's this diminishing return type of thing where like more right. developers, it's not like if I get four developers, they're gonna fix twice as many things. It's actually gonna maybe yeah. only, be, so I'm like in this weird problem where I'm like, I'm not happy with the product, but mm-hmm. I gotta be patient because they can't fix it in a, in, in a second. And I'm like, maybe I should learn how to code so I can fix it myself.
0: Yeah, yeah. well, I mean, even now, I mean, we have a, we have a big backlog Like we have a big backlog on bugs. I think the biggest thing for me is I trust my CTO now to like prioritize things properly. So, you know, if there are simple bugs that we can fix within a day, he will make sure we do that. If there are things that'll take two weeks, he will obviously look at other things that might take two weeks and try to see, okay, is this going to potentially boost revenue? Is this going to boost user growth? This is a highly requested item. He'll stack rank the items and then go about, you know, setting a pipeline or setting kind of a, a sprint from there. Um, so that's the biggest thing you can really do is if you are, you know, working with two developers, I mean, just know like things are going to break almost every day. There are going to be so many bugs that you're going to spot. I still find bugs in our product, especially on the analytics side, because there's so much new stuff we're adding in every single day. And we're also categorizing close to 2 billion URLs. So sometimes like things will break. Um, but again, as many bugs as I like to find now, I also try to obviously point them out, but then still help the team stack rank them to really like when I do report a bug, I do tell people like, hey, this is something I'd love to be, you know, I'd love, I'd love for it to be fixed in a day. I'd love for it to be fixed in a week. You know, and then there's some stuff that I'm like, you know, just put, add this to the backlog, we can get around to it next quarter, or we can get around to it next year. So I just find being a little bit more clear with my developers on like priorities, whenever I kind of spot a bug, has been pretty helpful to kind of their job and how they stack rank and, and prioritize different things.
1: Interesting. What's the best way to stack, like, stack rank things? Like, let's say you have things from cosmetic changes, small bugs, a button's not working. You want a better AI that can sort data better, and that's a big project, but that's important. But you can't complete it in yeah. a day. How do you stack rank so many different? Yeah, what's the best method? So the best
0: method I found is user experience trumps everything. So if if something like is a color change, that is not what I define as user experience. I define like functionality first. So like if a button doesn't work if I can't go through the onboarding flow properly, if I can't redeem a reward, if I'm not earning points, those are like fundamental issues that deserve to be the highest priority. Past that, there is definitely the larger long-term revenue projects, right? So like, you know, adding in ML and AI, for example, to sort through your data at a higher velocity might be something you wanna build in. You know, you might wanna look at taking a look at, you know, your filtering and segmentation capabilities and deepening them. You might wanna look at visualization and summarization and making that more beautiful that's all long-term projects that I typically set across a quarter. So, you know, again, four quarters in a year, you're probably going to have four long-term projects. Typically, you might obviously have more if you have a much bigger dev team, but typically you'll have four big long-term projects um, that will hopefully get done every quarter. And you'll hopefully be able to kind of see progress every month. And then the final thing is obviously all the color changes, the text changes, the font changes. I mean, those are kind of like near the bottom. And, you know, the reason they're near the bottom is because devs are human beings, right? Like devs, Have days where they're like, I do not want to work, but like, I might as well just look at the bottom of the backlog, see what's easy and just get my momentum going. You know, it's similar to me. Like if I ever feel like I'm demotivated to do work, I try to find the easiest task I could possibly do, get it done. And then that kind of gets me in a groove. So I typically call it like the bin list. And if you just put something in the bin list, typically it's not going to go and stay in the bin list for five months. It'll be done, but it'll be done more in the devs time whenever they can kind of get to it and whenever they feel like they need to get motivated again.
1: Yeah, I think I need to redo it because right now I just have like important, urgent, super, super urgent, super, super, super (laughs) urgent. So I think you're right, like just sorting into like a like an easy bin list then like a projects like sort of list and then like user experience, anything that's affecting users today.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like putting out a fire is one thing, but you know, like on the long term side, you definitely put, you know, the nice to haves and then obviously put in some of these longer term projects, but try to keep them quarterly. Like, don't try to, you know, set yearly dev projects. These typically, you know, either never happen or they, they always, you know, they're always delayed. They're definitely not scoped out. If you're setting a project for one year, they're definitely not properly scoped out with clarity and kind of UX probably doesn't hasn't been done yet to even understand what the parameters of that project will entail. So typically the longest projects are quarterly.
1: Do you have like a staging version or a testing version of the app, yep. wherever new extensions created, then it goes into there, and then and you go through revisions again and again until it's good, then you put into the live.
0: Yeah, we have definitely a staging version, both for our extension and our web app, as well as our analytics platform. So we have kind of three staging environments. Um, and then absolutely, you know, before we submit anything to Chrome or Safari or Firefox, you definitely test it on staging and then submit it for uh, release on production and then same thing with analytics and with our web app like a rewards marketplace uh, which is obviously independent from the extension. Um, it's worth noting one of the things we're lacking as a team right now is QA you know we we typically as a team all rally together to do quality assurance you know like the marketing team will be assigned like three things to test the sales team will be assigned two things to test we're kind of all rallying as a team to get things tested but obviously like in a couple of months especially after we raise I'm hoping we'll have like a dedicated QA team.
1: Yeah. With QA, do you have to check every single thing, even if like, let's say you create a new feature that is pretty independent from everything else. Would you still go through the onboarding process just to see if that was affected in
0: Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. We, we typically, you know, again, like if the code doesn't touch that aspect, then probably not. But like most of the early code changes we're making will likely touch every aspect of like the onboarding, redemptions, earnings, all of that. So it is just important to do one test really quickly because we don't want things to break. Um, But again, I mean, like if the change, for example, was like we made a more colorful UX and we added in like a couple of new words into the settings page and we gave people the ability to download their data. I mean, that's probably not gonna change the onboarding flow that much. So we don't test that as rigorously for sure.
1: And how do you balance between like revisions and, and working on the staging version versus live? Because it's like things that you need fixed live, you need fix as soon as possible. But then you always have a ton of different things in staging and, and you're constantly throwing it back into revi- fix this, fix that, fix that. I think that's how everything is powered up where it's just a bunch of staging revisions and and a few fires to put out that are really important for life.
0: Yeah, obviously number one, like early on, like when things were breaking, which I would say they were breaking quite often actually within the first two, three months of the extension coming out. Like we had, you know, redemption issues. We had people not earning properly. We had people not able to sign up even if they were in North America. We had uh, a a bot issue as well. Like we had a few people that figured out a way to skirt the system and were like just searching like on Bing, for example, like clicking every two seconds to earn more points. So we had to build in like a daily, weekly and monthly cap on points so people can only earn up to a certain amount. And we've looked at like the average amount of time people browse for because we're not trying to encourage you to browse 20 hours a day, for example. Um, But again, with all of those problems, we learned so much. So again, would I trade those problems in? Absolutely not. I think those were good problems to have Um, going to your question. I mean, definitely we had to pause things that we wanted to release that were in the backlog. But eventually you get to this point of stability, right? And that's where you can start looking at new features. It's like Formula One, man. Like, you know, you can't work on a shitty car and put in the best aero package until you fix the powertrain, right? Like you need to prioritize certain parts of the car first, make sure it's functioning, make sure it's actually good before you start putting in like the key performance upgrades that actually make the car really fast.
1: That's a beautiful metaphor. What was the main catalyst for Surf?
0: Yeah, I think for us three and a half, four years ago when we started the company, we were thinking a lot about data, but we're thinking about it more in a third party context. So we're thinking like, can we look at your Instagram and Twitter data and help you segment and filter it quickly? Because right now on Instagram, if I have like I have seventy thousand followers, for example, like I can't look at all seventy thousand people and see who's in Toronto. Like I can't do that. Um, but it would be amazing through our platform to you know integrate your account. You can see all the people that have the keyword vegan in their bio that are zero to one hundred thousand followers and have the you know location Toronto. You can see all those people right away. I think as we started to learn more about this privacy-conscious future, this cookie-less world, the Apple iOS changes, regulation like GDPR, CCPA that prioritize opt-in data, we started thinking more about what the future of data collection will look like. And, you know, our thesis is that people need to be compensated when they share their data. So we decided to actually go and test that out with giveaways initially. We ran, you know, some really big giveaways for Electronic Arts and Polaris and Amazon Prime Gaming, the UFC, Bud Light, etc., Um, We had over a million people in 2020 share their data for the chance to win a prize. And we decided that that was kind of a tick, you know, like we've ticked a box. People are definitely willing to share their data if there's something potentially coming back to them. The only problem with giveaways, obviously, is a lot of people lose and only one person wins. So we thought, why not build an extension then where everybody wins? And again, if you want to use your points to enter a giveaway, by all means, do that. But at least everybody has the ability to get compensated for their data equally no matter who
1: you are or where you go on the internet with the giveaway how did people give you their data because that was before the extension was created correct yes well that was yeah before the extension
0: was launched we definitely had a giveaways platform uh the experience actually looks very similar to what it is now so when you click giveaways even in our marketplace now and you want to use your points to enter a giveaway Um, which is obviously a new feature because before the extension, we didn't let people use their points to enter giveaway. There was no points in the first place. Uh, So before we launched the extension, you really just came in and did the actions. So that's where we had the sandbox of like, go and follow this account on Instagram, follow them on TikTok, provide your email, provide your phone number, sign up for this, and you'll get more entries and obviously a higher likelihood to win the more entries you do. You could really just do one entry if you wanted to, but obviously if you do more, you have a higher likelihood to win. So we took that concept, we still have it now, but obviously the core entry method now, the high-level entry method is you can use your surf points to enter the giveaway, which you obviously weren't able to do before the extension came out.
1: Now, what was the difference between, or what made that giveaway unique compared to like when you went to the supermarket and it was like, win this car, log in and write down your details, or like, like, subscribe, and then follow us on all these, like... Did that not exist back then or were you guys the first to do it? It did, it did. I
0: mean, on Instagram, I know I saw so many giveaways where people were like, yeah, follow me and my friend on Instagram and check out the link in our bio. But like, it wasn't measurable, you know, like I could follow you on Instagram and just unfollow you three days after. Um, I could click your link in your bio, but you wouldn't even know if I actually clicked the link or not. You would just get some traffic and like, oh, okay, probably worked 20,000 more people visited my site. Great. But you don't actually know if they actually did it or not. So I think what we did is we added in a bunch of more integrations. So like, you know, one of our integrations is like buy something from a company store and you'll get additional tickets. You know, like that is not something that a person could build overnight. It's, it's deep mode. It's, it's proprietary to our giveaways platform. We obviously measure everything. So we validate the action to make sure it actually happened. We auto-generate sweepstakes rules, which are incredibly important right now because if you put out a sweepstakes now and you don't have proper rules, you'll just get flagged you might even get a lawsuit. And then finally, we also really did a good job of taking all the giveaway data and putting it into our analytics platform. So in the analytics platform, now you could actually see all the people who entered your giveaway and all the information you have on each one of them. So if you gave me an email, I'll see that if you gave me a phone number, I'll see that if you didn't give either information, but you gave your Twitch ID, I'll see that So you kind of have audience profiles built out in our platform now that you can then go and export and start using for retargeting whenever you want. Wow, was
1: there like a purpose or need that made you build this or did you just think it was a good idea let's try this out and let's see if we collect data
0: i don't think there was there was a kind of a deep-rooted purpose obviously like i don't think i grew up being like i'm going to you know compensate people for their data i don't think that was a thought that ever came to my head i just think marketing is something obviously i've been very passionate about for a long time i'm very passionate about the problems in the marketeer space i think the biggest problem coming up is going to be cookies going away on chrome next year that's going to have a humongous effect on companies. I think Twilio had a state of consumer engagement report they released last year where they found 81% of companies are still dependent on third-party data like cookies, traffic panels, trackers. 55% of those companies say they're not ready for a cookie world and it's literally coming up next year. So I'm very passionate about all of that and that's why I thought, you know, building a solution wherein we don't just serve enterprises but we actually compensate people for their data is just cool. It's a world that I personally would want to live in, a world where every person has the ability to monetize their personal data if they want to do that.
1: That's amazing. I really appreciate your time today, Swish. I I could go on forever, but I want to be respectful for your time. Where can people find out more about what you do and and follow you along on your journey? Sure. Yeah. If you're
0: interested in surf, check out joinsurf.com. Again, we do have a waitlist. So if you are in Australia, New Zealand, India, whatever, feel free to join our waitlist and we can notify you when it's available in your region. And then LinkedIn is definitely the best place to uh, connect with me, um, just Swish kaswami Should hopefully be the only Swish in your network. And that's the, the best place to get in touch.
1: That's beautiful. Thank you so much for your time today, Swish. I really appreciate it. Like we were able to, like I was surprised, like I went really deep. I was able to really nerd out with you and I can definitely tell it in the trenches. You're like Elon Musk where he's like at the factory, you're trying to figure out, work with the developers, not only focus on the marketing side of things, but you really want to get into the nitty gritty. I could tell you've been like, like bug testing. You're like, you want to create a good experience for your customer and you're just as frustrated as me when you see something that's not good because you're like, no, my customers are not going to be happy. So I can definitely see like, you're like a pure bread entrepreneur
0: appreciate that definitely didn't happen overnight you know a lot of learning just from you know experiences i've had with people who left the company before experiences i've had from mentors that i've had books i've read pandemic definitely helped in terms of my management style so thank you so much that means a lot but it wasn't something that i was just born with for sure
1: (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much guys for watching this episode if you guys made it this far really really appreciate your time if you guys made it all the way to the end please give me a review on Apple and Spotify. I really want to get your thoughts and get some feedback on what I can do to improve with these episodes. And yeah, thank you so much for your time and I'll see you guys next week with another episode. Peace.